man to preach to us. Let's give him a good bend down welcome to this pulpit this morning. God bless you, Brother Sam. Amen. Let's give the Lord that hand clap of praise this morning. How many's glad to be in the house of the Lord? And how many's glad to be in the presence of the Lord? In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Not just enough joy to get by, but there is fullness of joy. And I believe what our world needs along with other things, is just a baptism of joy. Joy that can only come from the Lord. Joy in His presence, there's fullness of joy, but then the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I get my strength from the joy that I found in His presence. Because all we need is just to get into His presence from time to time. Whatever we have need of, we're going to find it when we get into his presence. And I'm glad to be in the presence of the Lord today. I know that he's omnipresent, meaning he fills all time and space. We're always in his presence. But I believe that there's something supernatural that happens when we come together in his house, begin to lift up his name, and his presence begins to inhabit our praise. Uh, we are feeling, what we're feeling right now is that presence that can move and minister to any need that we may have this morning. And that's why I'm always uh, glad to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, it's an honor to be with you this morning. And uh, as Brother Moore's already said, I was scheduled to be uh, on the other side of Atlanta uh, Friday through tonight. And uh, some things happened and we had to push it back till next year and uh, all that being said I'm glad to be in Bendale Mississippi this morning and uh, I give honor to brother and sister Moore and also give honor to this great church and um, if you have your Bibles I will uh, go to Psalm chapter 127 Psalm chapter 127 and then we'll jump back to Genesis chapter 30 and um, just a few days ago after me and brother Moore talked I mean, immediately, I felt the Lord kind of direct me to go this way this morning, and I had no idea uh, that you would be having a baby dedication. And uh, But the thing is about God is He knows all of that. And uh, I'm going to do my best this morning to just remind us why the church is here, to remind us of the purpose of the church. And um, so chapter... 127 of Psalms, Psalm 127 verse 1, the Bible said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved to sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Verse 3 says that children 
are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Genesis chapter 30 and verse number 1. Genesis chapter 30 and verse number 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, she envied Leah and said, Give me children, or else I die. Another translation literally means what Rachel was implying was, if I have no children, there really is no reason for me to continue living. Because that's how valuable children were. And so for a few moments this morning, I, I know this may be different for a Sunday morning, uh, but I'm just going to fill after the Holy Ghost and just do what I feel like He wants me to do. I want to preach to you this morning about the curse of an empty cradle. The curse of an empty cradle. Why don't we lift our hands one more time all over this house. And as we lift our hands, why don't we join our voices together right now. And why don't we ask the Holy Ghost to speak a word into our hearts. In Jesus' name, Lord, we love you today. God, we feel your presence in this room. God, I'm asking your spirit to do what only your spirit can do. It's not by might or power, but it's by your spirit. God, I pray that your word would have liberty. Your word would have free course. In Jesus' name. Why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. January the 10th, 2011. October 3rd, 2013. March 9th, 2017. And July the 6th, 2018. Four days in which my life was forever changed. They are four days that are eternally etched within the recesses of my mind and hidden within the chambers of my heart. I don't know if any of these four dates that I just mentioned hold an ounce of significance to anyone in the congregation this morning, but I can tell you that January the 10th, 2011, and October the 3rd, 2013, and March the 9th of 2017, and July the 6th of 2018, are four of the most important days of the year on the calendar to Adrian Sanford, because those dates represent the birth of my four children. It's when my daughter Heidi and my three boys, Klein, Easton, and Cade, were born. And while any of these dates may just be another date to you, those dates forever marked my life. It was because in those moments I became a dad. But the more I remember growing up throughout my adolescent years, and I often heard people say that there's going to be moments in every individual's life when things that do not matter will fade away and the things that do matter will come to the forefront and become very clear. And while I really didn't understand what they were saying then, 
I can now stand in this pulpit today and understand exactly what they meant because in those four moments, all of my focus and all of my attention was drawn to my children because in those moments, I personally got to experience life's greatest gift. And here I stand almost 12 years later, 12 years removed almost from the day my daughter was born. And I can honestly tell this congregation that there is nothing in this world like having a child. I've always heard that you really do not know love until you have a child of your own. I've always heard that nothing else compared, but now I stand here and personally understand what Emily Lawton meant when she wrote those statements, that a child is life's greatest joy, and a child is the ultimate blessing. There's just something that happens to an individual when you finally experience the joy and the blessings of becoming a parent. I remember preaching in Naples, Florida some time ago, and a young couple in that church had just only been married about a year, and they had recently found out that they were expecting their first child. And so when service was over, I walked up, shook their hand, and said, congratulations on becoming a parent. And I'll never forget that that young man looked back at me with concern in his eyes and said, Brother Sanford, I'm Jamaican, and my culture is we we bring up our children hard and we expect a lot of things out of them. And he said, I'm really concerned because I'm afraid that I'm going to be too hard and too rough on my daughter. And I kind of just shrugged my shoulders and patted him on the back and said, well, just let me know a year from now after she's born. And in fact, several months later after that daughter was born, I walk up to him and ask him how it was going, how many times he's grounded her. And before I could even get the conversation out of my mouth, his wife interjects in the conversation and says he lets her get away with everything. Because the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, and I've got parents here this morning who knows that there's nothing like having a child. When I look at my little girl and I look at my little boys, I can almost smile with a sense of pride because I know that they're mine. I may not be able to brag about much in this life, but I can brag about this very thing, and that is I have four of the greatest children in the world. No doubt this is what Solomon meant when he penned that song that we read a few moments ago uh, when Solomon said the children uh, are a heritage of the Lord. Uh, The fruit of the womb is his reward. Uh, Another translation of that verse simply means uh, that children are a gift from God himself. Uh, They are God's reward from him to us. Uh, Solomon in all of his wisdom understood uh, that there is something special uh, about having children. Uh, Solomon knew that there was something special uh, and supernatural that lied inside of every child. Ladies and gentlemen, God gives us babies as a blessing. The Bible teaches that. God gives us babies as a reward. The Bible teaches that. That's why the Bible says they are God's heritage. They are God's reward to us. But allow me to pivot now and tell you that the fact is if you're going to have a baby, you have first got to have a mother. 
I know the point is very elementary at this moment, uh, but if you're going to receive the reward uh, that can only come from a child, uh, if you're going to have a heritage, uh, you've got to have a mother. Uh, if you're going to birth anything, uh, you've got to have first a mother, uh, someone who is willing to incubate the blessing God wants us to have. Uh, God blesses us with children, uh, but God also knew uh, that if anything's going to be born, uh, there's got to be an individual who will willingly carry the very thing God wants to bring forth and can I submit to you it is for that reason and that reason alone that God put the nature inside of a woman to be a mother. God intends for us to have children. He intends for us to be blessed and in his infinite wisdom God divinely deposited the divide, the desire of motherhood inside of a woman. God said if you're going to have a child, you've got to first have a mother. In fact, to solidify what I'm preaching this morning, we find the first recorded statement God made in the garden after creating man and woman was these words, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Understand, ladies and gentlemen, God knew that if you don't have any children, you're not going to have a future. And this is why it was so important when Adam named the woman Eve because even the Hebrew literally means a life giver or to bring forth a child and when Adam named the woman Eve it emphasized her role in having children it's comical because the name Adam simply means man but Eve means so much more than just woman Eve literally means a life giver or someone that's going to bear forth children. Eve, you're going to be the one that brings forth life. You're going to be the one that bears those children. It established her role and it was you're going to be a mother. This is why God told Adam and Eve you've got to be fruitful and you've got to multiply because if you don't have children it's just going to be you, Adam and Eve until the day you die. If you don't have children, you're not going to have a future. If you don't have children, you're not going to have a heritage. And so God put the desire inside of Eve. And Eve realized that I have the ability and I have the potential to birth a future. Eve understood it is within my very womb that I will bring forth those blessings God wants us to experience. I remember when my wife and I at the time were dating and uh, through those several years of dating she had many doctor visits because uh, um, she had cysts, several cysts that began to form on her ovaries. Uh, and I remember Brother Moore going with her to doctor visit after doctor visit or being there on the phone when she would call me after those doctor visits. Uh, and I remember the tears that would flow down her face uh, and the shakiness in her voice uh, because she would tell me as we were dating that the doctor would give her uh, a slim chance to none to have children uh, because of the multiple cysts that had formed uh, on her ovaries. Uh, and he would tell her multiple times uh, that you may have one but you're going to be lucky to have one I'd like to find that doctor right now <clears throat> tell him I don't know about anybody else but you missed that one the fact is the point is I remember the uneasiness that she felt 
And I remember the anxiety that she began to experience because even though she was 16, 17 years old at the time, there was a desire inside of her down the road to be able to have a family and to have children. And I remember like it was yesterday praying and fasting and going before the church to have prayer because even though she was a teenager then, she understood that the day is coming when I'm going to be married and the day's coming when I'm going to want to have children because it is a desire, ladies and gentlemen, that God put inside of every woman. It goes all the way back to Eve in the beginning. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to look at motherhood from a biblical perspective, you would be quick to realize that motherhood was the deepest desire for an Israelite girl to have in the Old Testament. It's not just some modern desire women have now, but this is a desire that goes all the way back to the Old Testament because God established it with Eve in the garden. To bring more clarity to that statement, one scholar of the Old Testament wrote, and said, for ancient Israel, the most important contribution a woman can make to her household was to present her husband with children. You must understand, ladies and gentlemen, that in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish mindset, this is how a woman earned her place in life. This is how she earned her share in the household because the greatest thing a woman could provide her husband in those days was not a secular job. It was not considerable wealth. It was not popularity and fame. But you've got to understand, the greatest thing a woman in Old Testament Israel could give her husband was children. In those days, the desire to bring children into the home was so imperative to Jewish women that Sarah, who was unable to have children for a period of time, allowed her husband Abraham to take the maid, Hagar, and have children with her. That's how important it was to have children. That's how imperative it was to have children. You see, ladies and gentlemen, our culture today is different from the culture of the Old Testament. Our culture in America is different from the culture of Old Testament Israel. You see, women today, especially in America, differ tremendously from women then because while motherhood is something women want to enjoy in their life, it may not be something they want to partake in as soon as they're married. I remember those conversations my wife and I would have leading up to being married, and we would talk about when we were going to have children. What is the time frame we're looking at in order to have children? Our plan was at that time, wait until you finish college. Wait until you get your degree. Wait until we get more established. And while the plan changed, ladies and gentlemen, the fact is we wanted to wait until the timing was better. You see, nowadays, having children may be something that you want to do, but it also may be something you put off several years after you're married. Because now women have jobs and careers you see, in today's society, little girls grow up planning and dreaming of what they're going to do with their life. Women today plan for success in the business world. Women in today's world are doctors and lawyers and senators. My wife has a degree in accounting. My daughter Heidi wants to go to college and be a doctor. I... 
I want you to understand that women now, while they want to have children one day, may not be necessarily at the top of their priority list when they're married. Their desire is to one day have a child, but I don't have to have a child right now. That mindset was not the mindset of Old Testament Israel. I promise we're going somewhere. You see, Jewish women in the Old Testament, in that culture, had one mission in life, and that was to have children. Their desire to do this and their desire to do that paled in comparison because their duty, their responsibility, was to birth children. Children represented a future. If you have children, your future is secure. If you have children, your name is established. If you have children, your home stands. You see, having children was so important that the customs in that day included that men could divorce their wives after 10 years if she had not given him a child. Because ladies and gentlemen, women in those days had one role, and that was to have children, especially sons. You may ask the question, why were sons so important? You see, the promise of the Messiah being born was given to Eve, the life giver, the childbearer in the garden. According to the promise that was given to Eve, there's a boy that's going to be born. The Messiah is going to come from you, Eve. And this boy, this Messiah is going to crush the head of the serpent. This boy that's going to be born will be the Messiah that brings out a people for his own namesake. And ladies and gentlemen, custom tells us that from the moment that promise was given, every Jewish woman lived with the hope and the expectation that she would be the one who would birth the Messiah. But not only did they desire to give birth to that Messiah, but according to the customs of their world, sons could bring them happiness in days ahead. You're going to have to bear with me. I've had a chest cold for about two weeks and I cannot shake it. Not only was that son being born possibly the Messiah, but women understood that if I have a son, I have purpose in days ahead. You've got to understand that in Jewish culture, a child, especially a boy, was a special thing in that day because in the Jewish mindset, a son was a revered thing. If you had a son, ladies and gentlemen, it meant that your future was secure and that son could take care of you in your old age. That son meant you had prosperity, posterity, and potential. This is why uh, when you begin to read the word of the Lord, uh, the Bible has so many things to say about sons. When Rachel was given birth, uh, she said, I'm going to call him Benoni. But Jacob said, no, we're not going to call him that. We're going to call him Jacob, the son of my right hand. And it simply meant that that child was going to bring him fortune in days ahead. It meant that that child represented revival was coming to their world. When God promised Abraham a son, he said in him, that son, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It simply meant that something great is coming in your world. 
world. Something greater is coming in your tomorrow. I need you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, what sons meant in the Jewish mindset. It meant that my future is bright. It meant that potential lies ahead. It meant that greater things are in store. Let me put it in our language this morning. That baby boy meant revival was coming. This is why Jews got excited when the prophet said, for unto us is born a son. Unto us a son is given. And the government is going to be upon his shoulder. It simply meant that something's about to be born that hell cannot stop. Something's about to be born that time cannot slow down. Something's about to be born that struggles cannot hinder. That's why the Jews got excited when they heard that a son is going to be born. It meant that something great is coming. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that just as sure as God gives us physical babies as a blessing, just as sure as God wants us to have that reward, that heritage, I've got to tell you this morning that God also wants us to have spiritual babies. God wants us not to just have physical birth, but God wants us to have spiritual birth. He wants us to have people born of water and spirit. Jesus being born was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and declaration given by the patriarchs. Jesus was the seed of David. He was going to be the conqueror Israel desperately needed. Jesus being born shook hell to its foundation. And this is why when Herod hears that Jesus has been born, he sends out a declaration you kill every male child two years and under. You know what Herod was trying to do? He was trying to stop the revival in its early stages. He was trying to kill what was been born before it grew up because hell understands when something's born, it's more than just a baby. There's potential in that boy. There's prosperity in that boy. There's a future in that boy. And that's why Herod sent out the declaration. You kill every child, every male child, two years and under. It's why historians call it the killing of the ages. Because they tell me that these men that served Herod would go into every home and they would rip boys out of their mother's arms. And I'm not going to be graphic this morning, but you can read it for yourself. They would literally throw those babies out of the building because they understood we've got to kill the boys if it means we can find that one boy that's the Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, why in the world was Herod willing to go to such extreme measures? Why was he willing to cause a genocide? It's because Herod understood there's something in that one boy that I will not be able to stop. There's something in that one boy that I cannot slow down. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why hell today fights revival and fights a harvest. It's because hell understands if something's born at an altar, it may be something that I cannot. <clears throat> it may be something that I cannot slow down. This is why hell fights revival. This is why hell fights when God gets ready to send a harvest. He does not want sons and daughters to be born because of what they may become down the road. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why the prophet said there's a day coming when God's going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. 
I am a firm believer that in these last days, there is a prophetic anointing that's going to reside on our sons and daughters. And I am convinced that is why hell is after her our sons and daughters the way he is because God already made the declaration a long time ago that in those last days when I pour out my final revival when I thrust my sickle one more time there's going to be a prophetic anointing that falls on the sons and daughters ladies and gentlemen that's why hell fights revival that's why hell doesn't want us to have a harvest because he understands there's something prophetic that just could be born. <clears throat> Why do you think hell fights new converts the way he does? Because he's afraid of what that new convert may become. That new convert just may be the very thing that sparks the next great revival for that congregation. I, I, I'm blessed to preach in a lot of churches, and Brother Moore, it amazes me that when people come in the church from broken homes and broken pasts, just broken lives, they tell me of all the things they fought and went through, but they said it doesn't compare to the fight that starts after they get in the church. I thought it was supposed to be easy. I thought everything was supposed to smooth out. I thought everything was supposed to be a bed of roses until God comes back. It's because I've come to realize that hell fights those new converts because there is a prophetic anointing on the sons and daughters that are being born. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't know what that next convert can become. You don't know. You don't know if the town drunk can become. You don't know the revival that God can send to this congregation when somebody is born of the water and of the Spirit. It's amazing that Jesus goes to Jacob's well. Here's a Samaritan woman that he's talking to. This woman is stunned that Jesus is even talking to her. How is it that you, being a Jew, talks to me as Samaritan? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Little did she understand is she was going to be the very spark that initiated a two-day revival in the city of Samaria. This woman had five husbands. She was living with a sixth. But it was at that well she met the seventh man. And the number seven represents completion. What this woman had been looking for all of her life, Jesus brought it to her in a moment at the well. And the Bible says she left her water pot and went to that city and said, come see a man who told me all I've ever done. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, God chose that woman to spark the revival in that city. He chose the least likely person to be the catalyst of the great outpouring of that city of Samaria. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying don't overlook that drunk that walks in your back doors. Don't overlook that woman that's been through broken marriage after broken marriage. Don't you turn a deaf ear and turn your face to those teenagers who may be in trouble right now because it just may be the very thing that God uses to spark the next revival. And that's why hell is attacking because hell understands that if something is born, that's why all through the Bible, hell always attacked children. 
because that children represented a future. Ladies and gentlemen, children were revered in the Bible. But what's amazing about Jewish custom, and here we are, is that when Jewish people would get married, much like today in society, they would have a wedding shower. And in this wedding shower that these Jews would have, much like today, all these gifts would be brought to the bride. But there was one gift that stood out above the rest that those Jewish women received when they were married. Above all the clothes and all the bed linen that they may have received, can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there was one gift given to that Jewish girl that reminded her of her purpose. It reminded her of why she's here. Custom tells us that every Jewish girl that was married was always presented with a wooden cradle. Many times they tell me that this wooden cradle, but the more would be brightly colored, such as a bright orange or a bright yellow, because it wanted to trigger the mind every time that girl walked by that cradle to remind her, this is why you're here. This is your purpose. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when the marriage had come and gone, and the honeymoon was over, it was that cradle that spoke to that girl every day. This is your purpose. This is why you exist. It was a colored cradle that sat in the corner of every Jewish home. It was a daily reminder. You've got to have children. You've got to bring forth children. Ladies and gentlemen, I've told you this morning that children meant revival. Children represented a future. Children represented potential. But also in the Bible that if you did not have children, it was a reproach to that household. Because if you're childless, you have no future. If you have no children, there is no potential for a better day. Barrenness, ladies and gentlemen, was the greatest thing a woman could ever face in those days because barrenness robbed her of her very reason for existing. Can I remind you, this is why the Bible says Hannah wept over the reproach of her barrenness. Rachel was shamed because she had no children. Women like Sarah and Elizabeth and others throughout the Bible, it tells us that there was a present shame that they dealt with. Because there's a cradle, but there's no baby in the cradle. Ladies and gentlemen, can I submit to you that the empty cradle became the curse of that house? Because as long as that cradle is empty, there is no future and there is no sustainability. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you that there is no reason, it's not an accident, that the Bible says the church is the mother of us all. Zion, the Bible says, is the mother of us all. And in order for the church to survive, the church has to have children. I understand that we are celebrating a baby dedication today. And while I am thankful for natural birth, I have four children of my own. Can I preach to you from a spiritual aspect this morning and tell you that just as sure as we desire in the natural to have children, We've got to have that same desire in the spiritual to birth children. 
I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that if we need anything to hit the church in these last days, there's got to be a spirit of Rachel that grips a hold of every apostolic church because it was Rachel in the book of Genesis who said, give me children or else I die. She was simply saying, I have no reason to live and I have no reason to continue existing. I have no reason to face another day if I have no children. And what she prayed in the physical is what I believe every apostolic church should pray in the spiritual. If we have no children, there's no reason to keep having church. If we have no children, there's no reason to sing and play. If we have no children, there's no reason for me to preach. There's got to be a spirit of Rachel. There's got to be a spirit of Rachel. I believe that baptizes every congregation. It says, give me sons, give me daughters, give me children, or there is no reason to keep going. You see, the curse of an empty cradle showed them there is no future where there are no children. May we never forget the purpose of why the church is here. The purpose of the church, the mother, Zion, is to produce children. And if the cradle's empty, it should bother us. If it's been a while since somebody's been baptized, it should gnaw at us. If it's been a while since somebody's received the Holy Ghost, it should keep us up at night. Just like every Jewish girl had a cradle that reminded her of her purpose. I believe there's a spiritual cradle that sits in every apostolic church that should remind us every Sunday and Wednesday of why we're here. And if there's no children being born, it should bother us. Why don't we lift our hands right now? In Jesus' name. That empty cradle should scream at us every day. This is your purpose. This is how you sustain a future. This is how you keep existing. How do we have children? Jesus answered that in John chapter 3 when he looked at Nicodemus. And he said, except a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot see and enter the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe Jesus was given a prophetic declaration that the reason I'm going to build my church in this earth is because there's got to be children born. The church should be about having babies. It's not about my agenda. It's about seeing sons and daughters born. It's not about my personal preference or what I like or don't like. It's about seeing somebody baptized in Jesus' name. It's about seeing somebody filled with the Holy Ghost. Thank God the church was there when I needed it, Brother Moore. Thank God the church was there the night that I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But the fact remains the same that if the church is going to continue to grow, 
And if we're going to continue to multiply, and if God tarries another hundred years and the church is going to still be open, it's going to be open because there's babies being placed in a cradle. There's sons and daughters being born every week of the water and the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about my preference. It's not about my four no more. It's about God's kingdom and not mine. Bible says Rachel was beautiful. She was easy on the eyes to look at. But while the Bible calls her beautiful, it also says that beautiful woman was barren. Looks cannot make up for the fact that we are not producing children. It doesn't matter how beautiful we are if the cradle's empty. It doesn't matter how great we look if we are not producing and reproducing life in the kingdom. You see, looks, ladies and gentlemen, cannot make up for the fact that we cannot produce. I don't think I'll be misunderstood by saying this, but we have some of the greatest buildings in any religious organization you can think of. I am blessed to go to churches and you've got a beautiful facility here. God has blessed the church. God has given us properties and He's given us buildings. He's given us beautiful furnishings. But understand my point right now. None of those things matter if somebody's not being born. doesn't matter how good I can preach if babies aren't being born. It doesn't matter how good we can play or sing if the cradle's empty It doesn't matter how well we can teach and how well we can put a sermon together or how well we can lead a service if there is no soul being born. I don't want to be like Rachel, beautiful but barren. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the reason why God put the church in this earth is because He wanted children to be born. And if we're going to have a future, if we are going to have a tomorrow, there's got to be a cradle that exists that reminds us every day, this is your purpose. This is why you're here. This is why you exist. I'm thankful that the church is a place we can run to in times of need. I'm thankful that we've got a church we can come to every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Because life is going to happen to us all, ladies and gentlemen. There's going to come times when we're overwhelmed and we just feel overburdened and it's hard to make it another day. And I'm thankful that God's given us a church that we can go to in order to be renewed and refreshed. But at some point, we've got to understand it's not always about me. It's about somebody out there that's broken and dying. And on a way to hell, this is why we're here. There should be a cradle that reminds us every day of our purpose. As we continue to stand this morning, I'm going to wrap this up. But there is a problem in the Bible. I think it's the book of Jeremiah. When the prophet asked the question, Brother Moore, hath Israel no sons? Hath he no heir? The prophet was concerned because he was asking a question, has Israel, God's chosen people, does he have no son? Does he have no heir? 
Israel, are you not giving birth to children? Somebody that's going to take up the mantle in years ahead and carry this thing on. There was a dilemma in the nation of Israel. There were no sons to take over when the fathers passed. There was no heir to carry on the traditions that God had established through those fathers. But while there was a problem, God gives us the solution. Because it is another prophet Isaiah who says, here's the solution to having no sons and daughters. When Zion travails, when the church gets back to praying, when the church gets back to understanding that this is about seeing other people born of water and spirit, when Zion travails, that's the moment you're going to begin to reproduce and you're going to begin to give birth to things. I wonder if we could lift our hands all over this room this morning. And I apologize for struggling through this this morning, but I'm telling you, there is a burden in this house. Oh, there is a heaviness in this room today. God, while we're here to celebrate the birth, while we're here to dedicate children today, God, while we all have experienced the joys of fatherhood and motherhood, let us also never forget that there is another responsibility. That is to have sons and daughters born in the Spirit. Come on right now, why don't you pray for that spirit of Rachel to fall in this room right now. A spirit that says, I don't care how beautiful our church is, and I don't care all the great things God has blessed us with because none of those things matter if we're not seeing somebody come to God. Come on, why don't you just allow this to baptize you right now afresh and anew as they can make their way to the piano this morning if they would like. Come on, let's just continue to pray right now. Come on, church, I've just come to remind you that there is a community around us. There is a city that you live in that's hungry. <clears throat> There's people around us who are dying spiritually. There's people around us every day that need what we have in this room. There's something that's got to get a hold of us that says give us children. Let us see people born of water and spirit. Come on, I wonder if we could just step out just for a moment as they prepare to sing and play. Before we transition into the service, I wonder if we could all come to this front. I wonder if we could pray right now for God to lead us to somebody. For God to put us in the path of a man or a woman, a young person that needs what we have right now. Come on, it's not about hype this morning. It's not about emotionalism today. It's about seeing somebody born of water and somebody born of the Spirit. God, let us live with conviction every day. It's not just about us. It's about those who don't have this.
God, remind us today of why the church is here. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. Come on, I know we got things planned, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. Come on, Lord, I pray you'd baptize us all with that spirit and attitude of Rachel. God, why are we here? What is the purpose? It's to see people come to you.